Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. We've got a ton of stuff to cover. We've got potential grad transfers. We've got NFL Combine to talk about. Uh, we've got hoops to talk about. And since we're all at hoops last night, let's get into that real quickly. <laughs> Two games to go in the ACC slate. Notre Dame in great shot to win um, a double bye, which obviously huge ad- advantageous for the ACC tournament there. But also... I mean, a really, really outside shot to get a share of the regular season ACC championship, but still an outside shot with two games to go is, is pretty impressive. I think Mike Bray made a good point that if you if you do get the double bye, you have legitimate hopes to go play for the championship game because you only have to win two games to get there, but it's too much in this league. If you don't get the double bye, I think someone's going to roll through it. Um, I think everybody thinks back to one time Syracuse did it in the Big East and, just, and Connecticut did it. It's just yeah. it's hard to do in this league now. Um, and Notre Dame's got a great shot, as you said, the double bye also finishing. I think they can realistically think they can finish second because they're the only team that's contending right now that has an easy win left. They have Boston College, then, of course, a hard game at Louisville. Louisville is at Wake. Wake's not great, but it's a road game. They're seven and nine. Uh, Florida State has Duke and Miami at Duke. That's tough. Duke has Florida State and North Carolina. Duke's, Duke's, Duke's last six or seven games. Yeah, Duke's not outrageous. passing anybody with with a home game against Florida State and a, and a revenge game for North Carolina. Um, and then Miami's kind of creeping up there, but Miami has a couple of road games uh, against good teams, including Florida State. So if you're Notre Dame, you got to think second or third. Um, and if you beat Louisville, see where the chips fall. Um, I know you mentioned first, but I don't think you know North Carolina. Yeah, I, drop I, I don't probably. But I don't no, think that'll yeah. happen. Right now, they sit third. Florida State is ahead of them by virtue of the tiebreakers. They've defeated Duke and Notre Dame lost to Duke, yeah. but Florida State has to play Duke. So, so much can happen from here. The uh, the sports writers that are attending the ACC tournament <laughs> are looking at yeah, the, the tip off times. <laughs> if Notre Dame is a fourth or fifth seed, they tip either one. They tip off at two o'clock in the afternoon if they're a three seed. They tip off at 9, it's scheduled at 9, it'll be like 9.45 in New York City, trying to get back to your hotel in New York City at 1.30 in the morning. You two um, are rooting against your I didn't say that. I didn't say to that. cover the game at a better time. <laughs> I didn't say that. But, you know, anyway, getting back to last night's game, I mean, obviously it's really difficult, Georgia Tech, to, to sound like Mike Bray, but it's accurate here. I mean, they're really difficult to play against. They play a... One three one zone defense, which keeps pushing you away from the basket. And if you do get to the basket, Ben Lammers is there, and he alters everything you do. Notre Dame had 10 three-pointers made and 10 two-point baskets made last night. Yeah, the ACC is great because everybody walked out of there from Matt Farrell to Mike Bray to Tim Priester saying, I don't want to play Georgia Tech again if you're Notre Dame. <laughs> and I said, well, would you rather play Syracuse, Virginia, or Virginia Tech? No. That's what you no, got. So, you definitely yeah. rather you play, Georgia play Georgia Tech. Tech. Yeah. Because Georgia Tech can't shoot three-pointers, right, right. and that will always be a significant advantage for Notre Dame, even though we've had a 64-60 game and a 62-60 game, and last year was 63-62. It's kind of stuck in that point range. It's just a lot of quality teams, and you're going to have to get someone good your first game. That's what happens when you you have the bye, because someone won to get to you, so you're going to have a good team. Yeah, and look, Notre Dame, I was sort of curious to see where they stack up over the last three years in ACC regular season conference wins. Right now, North Carolina's 38 Virginia has 37. Notre Dame and Duke have 36. Yeah. So that's that's really impressive uh, where, where Notre Dame is right now in terms of the league. And, I mean, we were talking a little bit about like, you guys are, are voting for ACC all teams and player of the year. You can have a discussion about Bonzi Colson as ACC player of the year, um, but I don't think you're going to have a conversation about him not being on the first team. No, I mean, that has to be an absolute yeah. lock at this point. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Justin Jackson probably, because of the way North Carolina's played and the way he's been the the engine behind their drive to first place, will probably get it. Plus, he's a tobacco road player. So generally speaking, it goes in that direction. But uh, um, Colson will definitely be a first-teamer. Farrell is... 
a second or third teamer. And I think the other guys are going to end up being uh, honorable mention types, Beecham and Vestoria. However, I do think that outside of Notre Dame circle, I think most writers and coaches that are voting will vote Vestoria over Farrell, where you and I, with our one vote, are probably not. But I bet you if you go with the coaches, that have a vote, mm-hmm. every coach has a vote, and then 16 media members, where Irish Illustrated's one, has a vote. I bet you more coaches vote for that story than We Farrell. certainly know how Mike Bray would vote. Right. I, I don't right. know if that's universal throughout the I ACC don't either. I just with think the coaches. Familiarity, too. Like, they've been seeing yeah. Astoria hit shots. Farrell will probably and, be you know, third team. I could see right? that, yeah. I guess switching over to football, combine coming up later this month. Um, Jerron Jones, Isaac Rochelle, Deshaun Kaiser all there. I think there's been some really interesting stuff from kind of the sources, draft, industrial complex um you know one of them was from mike mack just today uh quoted in the monday morning quarterback by peter king at sports illustrated and i'll read the quote and you guys can see what you think about it this is mack i think he is the most upside talking about kaiser the highest ceiling this is of the quarterbacks but he's 12 and 11 as a starter at notre dame he played a lot of bad football with the game on the line in the fourth quarter this year that is not acceptable but he is six foot five 235 he has that kind of prototypical franchise quarterback look a Philip Rivers type, if he gets everything right. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, when it comes to quarterbacks, just the nature of the position, I think it's just it's viewed very, very differently. Jared Goff, how, how good was Kel with their record? Not good. And he was the first pick in the draft, and, and you know, in retrospect now, probably shouldn't have been. But um, I, I share those concerns as far as the 12 and 11 record. I you know, we said it throughout the season that the lack of chemistry with the young receivers was an issue. That's something Greg Gabriel has stressed uh, to me in our in our uh, pre-draft stuff with him. Uh, but the size, the the arm strength, it, the combine is going to be really really interesting because you want to talk about lack of chemistry. Now you have to throw the football, throw a football to guys that you've never thrown a football to before, and a lack of accuracy can really be exposed in a, in a in a quick period of time. But the competition he's going against at the position is just not that strong, and I think there's right. still a great chance that he'll be the first quarterback chosen. And that doesn't make you good in the no, NFL. No, it does not. But that doesn't it matter. Makes you rich. Yeah, it makes you rich. He made the right choice no matter what because it makes you rich. He'll get his degree eventually. He's a smart kid. Uh, he's not a risk at all in terms of off the field. He's not a risk. I mean, he's he's going to prepare. I know there's the one report out there. He's, he's going to try well, Piper, to become a good player. Piper um, made a comment yeah, about I don't, character. I, I don't know, know where... That came from. Yeah, it's like to me, if if you're gonna knock Kaiser for something off the field, could you say that he was overweight and you know didn't take care of himself in peak condition? Yeah, I, I think that would be a legit concern. Um, but I, I certainly wouldn't be he was checked out mentally or was a bad teammate or anything like that. Like, was he a little overweight? Probably. Um, but I mean, he was taking headshots at the end of the year on a right. A useless four games. and <laughs> seven team at that point. And so, couldn't get a damn call on any yeah. of them. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he put himself on the line in... Uh, he put himself in harm's way a lot this year on a team that probably didn't deserve to have that. I bet if you're a Notre Dame fan, listen to this podcast now, and you also heard two weeks ago that they just learned how to lift and condition, oh, geez, yeah. and that their quarterback was overweight, you're probably really happy about last year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, good luck. Speaking of that, speaking yeah. of that. Uh, Jerron Jones, this is from NFL.com in the Sources Tell Us Department. Um, this is from a NFC director of scouting. And his quote is, he's a character flag for us. He's talented, but I just don't think he loves the game enough for me to back him in our room. Who doesn't love those long arms? We all do. But I think he's lazy and will head south as soon as he has more time and money on his hands. NFL scout Tim Ooh. Priester. That's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's harsh because um, uh, if you read the rest of this profile, there's there's a clear indication that some of that is coming from Notre Dame. And I think if you're a college coach, you have to be honest in your evaluations because if you don't have credibility in that situation they're going to stop asking. They're going to stop looking at your players. So, I, I, you know, it's, the same thing happened with Lewis Nix. We couldn't figure out, well, what happened with Lewis Nix? Well, they talked to Notre Dame about it, and you yeah, come I, up with the personality all over the place. Great player when he wants to be, but wasn't that way all the time. We can 100% validate that that came from Notre Dame. Yeah. Jerron Jones. Yes, it did. Yeah, heck of a player. And then uh, sort of the take on Rochelle from NFL.com. 
is basically he's just sort of a guy, um, no real pass rush ability beyond a bull rush move, and I, I think we would all agree with that too. I don't like that one as much. No? Oh, I agree with that he's not a pass rush guy. I yeah. just think he'll be a 10-year NFL player from really? doing what he I, does. I think being a, being a guy that plays the run. I don't think he does league. anything well enough to to be a 10-year NFL player. Will he play in the NFL? Yeah. Is he a good character guy? Of course. We I'm not saying a starter or pro bowler. I just yeah. mean Isaac Rochelle can always be the eighth best lineman you have on your team. I, mean, is I think he can be that for four years, but I don't know about after that. Is it any better or worse than Capron Lewis Moore? Well, I think Capron was better until he hurt his knee. Okay. Cap blew out his knee his last game of his career. Sure. It makes it hard. And then blew out his knee again. In the NFL, that that's, makes it, yeah, that's a good point. It I'm makes it hard thinking, to play. I'm just thinking yeah. of the Alabama. If Rochelle blows out his knee, I don't think it'll be a ten year. Yeah. Rochelle will play in the NFL because he's strong at the point of attack. He's a good character guy. Yeah. He's a guy that that and several NFL teams will want on their roster. That's how I look at it because yeah. of who he is. But ten years, Victor, I don't think he can do anything well enough to last. 10 Victor Abiyamiri had a lot more athletic yeah, ability than Isaac Roshan was clearly not a, no, a, a 10-year true. NFL player. Same with, you know, Laws, Landry. I like his size um, at defensive end. In criticizing your comment, yeah. I would like to bring up a freezing cold take of mine. Remember when I said two years ago that Notre Dame was going to have 20 draft picks in back-to-back years? I'm only going to fall about, oh, I don't know, half of that. Like ten short. <laughs> yeah, what will they? What, uh, now there's some extenuating right circumstances yeah. in there with yeah. players, but uh, I blew that one. Yeah, I, it's, I mean, look, I think we all pretty much blew this season. Um, and <laughs> the NFL draft, kind of a hangover from last year, doesn't really have much to do with where things are going, which is probably a good segue into the grad transfer. Uh, we talked about Freddie Cantina in our last podcast, coming over from Michigan. That's kind of interesting as a, as a rotational receiver. Scott Pagano potentially coming from Clemson, and he'll take an official visit uh, in late March. That would change the record that I would predict Notre Dame to have next year. I, I think that one would be huge because it would take a, a weak position or at least a questionable position and make it definitively pretty good. I mean, he'll, he'll start. You're bringing yeah. out a starter. For the most important yeah. season of the coach's career, of the you know, prime his career. Yeah. I mean, that's that's huge. I and mean, you Pete mentioned at the basketball game yesterday that, you know, you look back at the Notre Dame Clemson tape, this is, a couple, this is two years ago, of mm-hmm. course, that Pagano really wasn't a big part of it. Well, was Makwa? You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's what you're looking at. It, 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 right. it did Tillery flash against Clemson that you need bodies was, up yeah, there. This like, is a guy you need. He was the yeah. fourth or fifth best defensive lineman on a defensive line that is only first and second round picks. Yeah, like, so that's, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. I mean, his it's like people are asking why he's transferring, and I talked to his high school coach for a while on Friday for a story on Irish Illustrated today, and he's like, look, there's no ill will there. He liked his times at Clemson, loved Dabo Swinney, but, you know, he's sort of been to the mountaintop there, and Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wolf. He wants to get more than six snaps a game. Yeah, so, I mean, he wants to get out there and play and then play at the next <laughs> level. I mean, he's, seems like... I mean, look, I get that every high school coach loves their kids for the most part, um, but he's telling me about how Pagano left him tickets for the last two national championship games. When he came back to Hawaii, he accompanied him on a, a middle school trip to talk to kids who were thinking about going to that high school. Um, you know, at the Army All-American game when he played, he gave away all his gear to kids on the field, and his coach was like, don't you think your mom would want to, and he's like, you know, I'm going to get enough of this stuff down the road. I'll just give it away now. I mean, it just seems like a, 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 decent, age. a decent kid um, that, you know, is a, he's a man now. He's, you know, 22, yeah. uh, would be would be a huge boost. Yeah, Notre Nord- Nord- Dame's yeah, got a, a pretty significant fight on their hands here. Oh, there's no <laughs> question. I mean, it's like Oregon, Oklahoma. I mean, the I think Cal is involved. There's... And initially, when he decided to leave, the talk was he's going to stay, you know, more on the West Coast. He's from Hawaii, um, not originally, originally, but lived pretty much all of his uh, high school and middle school career in Hawaii. It's interesting that his entire family moved from Hawaii to Clemson while he was there. Uh, he has an aunt that lives in Clemson, um, so there's some connections uh, to that region. So it's not the whole ending up back on the West Coast. The utility of that maybe is not as high as it would be just on. Oh, he's from Hawaii. Well, he's not really from Hawaii anymore. So be, yeah. it will be very interesting to see how it shakes out. Now, you, Pete, you recently, you and uh, the South Bend Tribune kind of came out with stories at, at about the same time on Matt Bayless, and you, you mentioned about some uh, cutting room 
floor stories yeah. that maybe didn't make the the story. I mean, there was so much material to work into that that it's you know I mean, you have Mississippi State former players calling me on Friday night to talk for an hour about Matt Bayless, and I was like, I got, I got to do it Friday night. Um, <laughs> I got laundry to fold. Don't you have uh, Don't you have something to do? Yeah. Um, and they absolutely raved about him. I mean, some of the stuff that was in there, just, I mean, you've, if you have a, a, a really a, a journeyman backup offensive lineman who makes a point of calling Matt Bayless on the day of his wedding while he's in the car on the way to the church, like that tells you a little something about the connection that he has to these guys. Um, and after I posted the story, I did get some feedback from Notre Dame that they're like, yeah, that, that connection is happening here now. Um, some people had said his techniques and tactics are not the same as they were at Mississippi State as they are at Notre Dame. He's you know evolved a little bit, and there's a little bit more of a science angle to it. I mean, Notre Dame is much more of a, um, I think, a sports science approach to things now. And I wrote about Duncan French right. last yeah. year, and that that is still very much part of it. So it's not um, it's not the boot camp approach. But it is very competitive. It's very in your face, and the players seem to be responding very, very well to it. What a concept! Strength and conditioning evolving over the years. Yeah, exactly. It's like you know, for a for a discipline that comes across as like Cro-Magnon as a positive, uh, it's nice to see some evolution here uh, on the part of the race. He certainly, department. he certainly sounds and looks <laughs> the does. part, doesn't he? Yes. It? Yeah. It's like I can't remember who I was talking. I think it was uh, it was a parent of a recruit and they were sort of it, it was uh Cole Mabry's dad and he was talking about how when they met Matt Bayless on the visit it was like wow that guy was put on the planet earth <laughs> yes. to be a strength and conditioning <laughs> coach or a marine drill instructor yeah. that's it uh, yeah, those are the so, two jobs if you look at the one minute video put out the Valentine's Day yeah. massacre by Notre Dame you could either watch it with no sound and know that he's a strength and conditioning yeah. coach by looking at him or not see him and just hear him yeah, I know he's a strength and conditioning yeah, coach. Yeah, I'm going to be very curious to see what the players are like when we talk to them about Bayless and what uh, January and February are like when spring practice gets started next week. And I'm I'm very curious to talk to Brian Kelly about that too because it was not it was certainly not lost on me, and I it sounds like it was. This is kind of how things are now that Brian Kelly was in the weight room in that video because um, I don't think he's been in the weight room a whole lot, and I think that may be one of those changes. From feedback, talking to players uh, in early December about what needs to change. How do I need to be different as a head coach? Well, we need you. We want you to be around more. Uh, we, you know, we want you in the weight room at these winter workouts. And it sounds like he's he's been that way. So I'll, I'll be curious to hear from the players and from BK himself about you know why that change is important. What that at might actually mean moving forward. I think this month has been good for Notre Dame football with how they finished the class at 17, how they started at 18, the changes that have been made, and it doesn't excuse 4-8, and eight, it doesn't mean they're going to beat Georgia. But if you're a Notre Dame fan, still, if you're a Notre Dame fan... <laughs> you've hung on. If you've hung on and you're not just looking for change, then you have to be positive about what they've done since mid-January. You could hate everything they did from the beginning of the Texas game, when they came out defensively, until mid-January. But if you just look at it, just with an open mind, doesn't equal a win. But it's 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 what they've done since has been positive. Well, I understand why you know there there are some people out there are saying, well, you know, I'll believe it when I see it in sure, the fall, and I under, sure. and I understand that completely. But the fact of the matter is, football is twelve months a year, and what they did from the end of the the regular season in in a and hiring the staff, which we all, you know, I mean, I, th- I think there are a lot of real positive things happening with the coaching staff. We'll see that on the field. We saw it off the field in recruiting. The way they finished recruiting, the momentum that they've gathered with some of the... I mean, we're going to talk about Braden Lindsey a little bit later. I mean, that is one hell of a wide receiver defensive back. They're doing positive things. You can't change September, October, November, and you can't speed up the clock to September of this year. But all of that stuff in between is very important, and it's been very positive. I'm in the camp of I'll believe it when I see it, but it doesn't change that it's been right. positive. They're not playing games, so you can't go back to it. You can't talk about it. I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't know. Every time I hear a strength and conditioning comment, I think of Anthony oh, yeah. Bernaglia. So, you know, there's no – it's just the way it works. But it seems positive. Yeah, there's no question. And I, just to close the thought on that, 
is uh, a source told me this like this is where four and eight is a good thing for Notre Dame because it forced a sort of a come to Jesus reckoning for the head coach and I think his his reaction to it has been encouraging because what did we say all last season that he needed to evolve and get outside of his own comfort zone to save this thing and sort of like pull it back together and will it pull itself back together I don't know but I feel a lot better about that happening now than I would have if they had gone seven and five and it was like oh we just need to tinker a little bit he needed to do a lot he's doing a lot We'll see how it plays out, and, and we're going to start to see next week. And four and eight has been positive in another respect as well. There are some recruits that are le- that are legitimately looking at this and saying, "Damn, I can walk right in here and play." Pagano might be one of them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated Insider. We're going to have a three segment podcast today. So next, questions from our readers, burning up the boards, and after that, we'll have a recruiting segment and our recruiting roundup. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider is our burning up the board segment. We'll start with a question from Irish Bob. Given the tight scholarship numbers, name your players most likely to transfer this spring. God, I hate these questions. I know. <laughs> Sorry, Irish Bob. No, I, I'll, I'll do respect. Position. Um, well, because the reason I, I agree with you because I, I don't we don't want to be disrespectful to a player <laughs> that sick somebody out. Right. Now. We don't mean it that way. What we're gonna we're going to answer this by position, full position. Well, and. Yeah. What are the situations that could prompt a transfer? Uh, we don't want to be disrespectful right. to any I would of the say kids. If the defensive front changes where big DNs become D tackles, then you've got way too many D tackles, and some of those guys are not going to play. Um, so you wonder if something is going to happen there. You know, the offensive line is the offensive line that seems healthy. Nice progression there. Quarterback same way. You know, defensive back. Got to be something out of that group that will. You'd think there would be one, but like, Ashton White is a name that comes to mind. Just has not again, played. The, um, yeah, I mean now, Ashton White has said to me that he's not going anywhere. Right. But you get through the spring and you're like, crap, I, I I don't I don't see the end of the light or the, the light at the end of the tunnel here. Maybe stuff changes. I don't know. I, this I think with Holmes and Brent already out, um, Montless gone, McGovern gone, Zaire gone. Obviously, it's. There's not a lot of guys I look at and think, well, that makes sense to leave. Unfortunately, that usually leads to a guy leaving where it doesn't make sense to leave. Um, and every year there's a freshman that sort of gets through the first full academic year and it's just like, just not for me. Um, so maybe it'll be somebody like that, but it, that would be just uh, throwing darts in the dark. I think every year after the spring or during the spring, you lose a wide receiver, defensive back, and this will be no different. Yeah, but they already lost a couple wide receivers, so that really I'm not sure that right. can happen this time. Right. You know, that's Brent, whatever. So Brent was whatever, I mean, Pete, I, you know, you said D lineman, do Treadway, Tiasum. That I mean, you're thinking along you those lines. You wonder if they if they're just buried there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just you know, not that, a lot of not a lot of hope. And I, I didn't write anybody down on no. offense. The other name I wrote down, Josh Barajas. I mean. You Linebacker know. is going to get reshuffled too. Right. I mean, maybe the same as defensive line. If you're going to a four-two-five. There are really only two linebacker spots. Our scholarship chart, you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten scholarship linebackers for two positions. Well, we're gonna. I'm gonna have a dilemma with this whole wording of this because the Rovers are. I'm breaking Rover out of that. But why does Clark Lee coach him then? No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying these guys. Okay, who's a Rover here? Morgan, Martini, Coney, Jameer Jones, Bilal, Barajas, Drew White, Spencer Perry, Jonathan Jones, David Adams. Spencer Perry is Bilal, maybe. That's it. Martini is a backup rover to help yeah. out things. So yeah. I'm saying, so yeah, let's Martini let, is a situational. Let's yeah. say you have you have eight linebackers for the Buck and the Mike. That is a lot yeah. of guys at that position. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tough spot. We don't know who they'll be, but people will transfer. Uh, There's our answer. That <laughs> <laughs> always happens. Yeah. So, for 30 straight years. <laughs> yes. Did you write down anybody offense? Well, you said receivers, and you're right. Those, those The receivers that were going to transfer. We did have some receivers leave. Uh, I wouldn't think anyone. You know, uh, it's 
There's nobody that even makes sense at yeah. receiver. Uh, you know, maybe McIntosh makes more sense. I hesitate, I hesitate to, I sit, to name anybody that's a, he you know, be a, a freshman this spring right. because yeah, they haven't even had an opportunity. A redshirt freshman that just moved over, he could be a running yeah. back or a wide receiver that could It's not a bad yeah. question, Iris Bob. No, we just, we're, uh, we're, you know. Positions and, and we, is the way to approach it because you can look at Glut and say yeah. someone from this is going to leave. Uh, offensive linemen never leave, by the way, until they're fifth-year graduates. I was kind of looking quickly. They just don't. They either go on medical or go through five years and then go. They they, you know, because you need I, a backup offensive lineman. I'm in, trying to think of yeah. one. They don't. It's not something at Notre Dame where you lose those guys until until their fifth year when they want to. Uh, I think guys that haven't played it down, just saw a name written. The guys that haven't played it down will just graduate from Notre Dame and not play it down. I would yeah. agree. That's yeah. what yeah. offensive that's, linemen do. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Irish Bob. Good question. I just hate answering it. All right. Irish Boo. <laughs> Is Malik Zaire's decision to transfer a window into how good Brandon Wimbush will be? No. Malik Zaire is as competitive <laughs> as anyone could be. He would be transferring from Notre Dame if his competition was Zach Frazier, Nate Montana, and David Wolke. He Ooh, is leaving. He is leaving because he wants to play football somewhere else well, next year. He, he's leaving because he's lost faith yes. in the university and and well the people, the program, not the, the head yeah coach. the head coach. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I. Uh, I think the academic side. Is just right, right. No, I didn't mean. I didn't mean it. Yeah, he's getting his degree. From that he's, standpoint, he's he, getting his degree and leaving. He did. I mean, uh, yeah, the family doesn't trust what Brian Kelly says to them anymore, and yeah, so I think that 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 feeling is mutual. I think that runs both ways. Right. So absolutely. I, a, he fresh, was a fresh start needed there. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with Brandon Wimbush. SR five four five two with lower numbers available on spring rosters at Notre Dame and across the nation. Can you guys see some programs dropping spring games? No, definitely. I, I, Notre Dame. No, but I, I. No, I you know. would just you would just alter it. You would you would make it a day for the fans. Yeah, it's a it's a there's a gate there. There's money coming in. It's not like a regular home football game. I don't I don't see them. I don't see Notre Dame canceling. No. It's too much of an event for Notre Dame football fans across the country. It's not always that well attended when the weather's bad, but. They would just alter it. They would make it a more of a fan friendly day than actually canceling. I was thinking there's no gate for I don't want to throw a program. I mean a, a mid level Mac program for a spring game if or a low level Mac program for the spring game on a bad day. Like what? Who? Now that you said that, like did, is, did somebody cancel? Yes, someone did cancel. Someone last did year, right? cancel. I don't know. I'm I, almost pop. We can look this up pretty quickly before the third segment. But I, I think that someone canceled last year. I know Brian Kelly has been. He handles this question well because we ask him a lot about the value of a spring game these days because you hold out every somewhat injured player. Yeah. You do. You have to hold them. It's, it makes no sense not to. But it is a big event for Notre Dame fans to come in for. But you could hold a big event for Notre Dame fans to come in for where they maybe are doing a real practice on the field. Well, that's what they Legitimate would. They would drills. I think most coaches yeah. would say they would just like to have a regular practice for the fifteenth. With practice. everyone there, if you could somehow make it where the, they talk to players after the field, you know, like after kids talk to players after the game right. or something mm-hmm. like that, you could do that. Because um, it's it's altered so much now with the rules. I think mean, there's no punts, there's no kick. It's just weird to watch the game. I mean, we I mean, make jokes about it all the time. They're it's, doing the altering. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. It, I I agree with what you're saying that Brian Kelly would probably just rather have a. A fifteenth actual practice and the final four or five periods are live scrimmage. I mean, I I enjoy going to watch open practices and watching the final two periods for those like full on full speed team periods more than the actual spring game. I feel like I get more out of that. I mean, oh, yeah. last year I feel like watching the spring game, the linemen are going three quarter speed. It's just no, we get. No, they were going full speed. It just looked like they're okay. Going speed. <laughs> we in the media get way more out of a regular practice yeah. than we do that. Absolutely. I, you know, if if the if the question was more about how do we make the spring game more interesting, the NCAA should change it and allow you to do a scrimmage against another yeah. team, like yeah. bring in Western. Michigan. That would be that would be a lot more interesting. Yeah, get your first team, a legit first team out there, a legit second team out there. That that I would enjoy. Who gets to play Alabama in that spring game? <laughs> Southern Alabama? Yeah, I think so. Ella, um, Arizona Ella. State canceled its spring game for 2016 and 2017. Instead, uh, it concludes with a breakfast event for season ticket holders during the final practice. 
Arizona State's a pretty good yeah. program for that. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting. I knew I, someone had. I didn't think it was them. There might be someone else actually. I, you know, um, I kind of. I mean, Notre Dame has had. You know, they're they're working on stadium renovations and stuff. I mean, they've gone through. They've jumped through hoops to to make sure that they had some kind of event so fans could attend it. So I think they would be one of the least likely ones to do it's it. A, I, you know, it's a good question though because it is said, a good question. I coaches? can't answer for yeah. other yeah. Yeah, other programs. All right, next up, not Jay Teffel one. Which coach are you most excited to see during spring ball? Uh, it's very, always very difficult for me to limit any kind of question to one. And certainly the coordinators. I, 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 if I had to pick one, I'd pick Mike Alco because I think that's that's the most intriguing. If I had to pick one of the holdover coaches, it would be Mike Elston, now working with the defensive line, which a lot of people uh, will have an eye on. A lot of people have concerns about that very important part of their success in 2017 in the future. But, you know, Elko for me, I think, because just of the um, um, the change of scheme. Although, I mean, one of you guys, you're, you're going to say Chip Long too, right? Because, I yeah. mean, there's, there's... See what his involved. I mean, he's yeah, I mean, heavily involved, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt about it, and some, some uh, alterations and adjustments. But I think Elko's the most intriguing one for me. I mean, Chip Long, just to see, okay, as, are you actually running two tight end stuff? How are those guys yeah. used? Um, you know, Alizé Jones sort of fits in that mix a little bit, too. How is he incorporated in the system? But, I mean, when you have two I mean, you have two new coordinators, that's that's all you need for a really interesting spring practice. Three. Uh, I guess technically <laughs> yeah. if you want to go yeah. three, two. Um, that's... It's going to be one of the more interesting spring balls that uh, you know I've covered in 16, 17 yeah. years. We mentioned that last night. Like last year's spring ball was the two quarterbacks. This is all the way through. This is fairly, this is an intriguing spring yeah. session. Normally it's all right. Let's get to August camp. But I mean, this, there's a lot going to happen in the spring where you could. They're not going to give us a depth chart, nor should they, for a four and eight team after spring. But it's going to be one where you see a lot of movement from what we guess going in. Where guys are all and, over. And, you know, I mean, offensively, I don't. I mean, there isn't going to be a huge movement of personnel. I didn't mean Maybe, defensively, but Claypool. I know, no, goes. I know. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, that, compared to the defense, right. we don't know how he's going to use his defensive line. The whole thing about four-two-five is overblown because they're in all kind of different looks and formations when they line up. But we don't know. You know, how are they going to balance the talent at linebacker? How are they going to distribute the talent along the defensive line? I, there are so many yeah. questions on defense that that clearly stands out. And in this case, the first practices really will not show us as much. Do you remember in uh, 2014, Van Gorder's first spring when I mean, because Anawale was at safety, you had I think you still had <laughs> like uh, a week. You still had. <laughs> hey, that was a good move. Yeah, other than Joe Schmidt, like there wasn't much. Like we couldn't figure out why Kendall Moore wasn't getting in there, and then we realized it was you know, Joe Schmidt's job. But I think you'll be a, a lot different when we see the full practices near the end will kind of show us what, what movement was made. I think there'll be a ton of defensive movement from practice 1 to 14 or whatever. Yeah, good lead into the next question from Pikey. Which position battles are you keeping an eye on during spring ball, both sides of the ball? Again, I think most of it is on defense, but the the one spot that stands out to me on offense, what do they do at right tackle and right guard? Yeah. Um, you know, we... I think we've speculated, and I, I don't know if the fans speculated with us or independently or whatever, but that Alex Bars could move to right guard. Um, that discussion has been held of the possibility of getting snaps at right guard. Does that mean Eichenberg? Does that mean Kramer? How does Tristan Hodge respond to that? Because Tristan Hodge, I'm sure in his mind, is ready to step into the starting lineup and has been close in the past. I'll I'll start with that pick offensively and let you guys take it from there. I just want to see where Alize Jones and Claypool line up and where how many places they line up. I want to see if like the slot is the detached tight end. Uh, I just want to see where Claypool goes. You want to see him run down the field again. Yeah. It's been a while, right? Yeah, I was, I was following him around <laughs> campus uh, earlier. I tell you, he was on time today. Uh, I'm, you know, rover, the rover backer, because um, I want to know if that's if there's a legitimate chance for a uh, Spencer Perry, DJ Morgan, or is it Drew Tranquil? I want to see if they actually stick a safety there, or do they try to sort of get Asmar Bilal to to do that? Because um, I think he's he's a really interesting body type, and that's um, a name that Clark Lee threw out. I think. Well, and actually, both Perry and Morgan are going to start out at safety. That was said on signing day, but I would, 
I'm expecting Perry to move to Rover sooner than Morgan. Yeah, I think Clark Lee is too. Yeah, I, I think I think they're going to give Morgan a little a little bit more of a look at safety. Um, you know, corner. We might just be totally wrong when we well, Julian Love should probably the way he played, he should probably start. But Troy Pride Jr., Dante Vaughn, Nick Watkins, Julian Love, because Crawford's not in the mix for the spring right. to mm-hmm. compete. Um, that's a foursome where we could just be if we went in and picked the two starters, we could just be totally wrong by the time the spring is over. But oh, yeah. Yeah, those guys yeah, go against I, each other. Yeah, it's as good as Love was last year. I don't think there's any sort of like, Locked oh, down. it's your job. Yeah, it's going to be a tough competition. I bet it's his, I too, bet but, he wins it. Yeah, yeah. I sure, bet he wins sure. the spot. But that's, that's not an impossible, just yeah. total upheaval of the, of yeah. the uh, top two in next Well, year. yeah, I mean, you got to, I mean, look at a guy like, I mean, Mike Elko comes in and says, hmm, Dante Vaughn, yeah. wow, I think I could do a lot of things with that guy. Yeah, and maybe he looks at Nick Watkins and he goes, like, he is got really superior length right. as well. And they're like, well, I really like these two long corners opposed to this, you know, shorter Julian Love type build. And he goes with that. I, I don't know. It's a good, it's a good problem to have. Cause I mean, last year they had, <laughs> they had the bad problem to have last yeah. year. <laughs> now they have a good problem to have. Breaking down the position battles when it was Jalen Brown and Josh Atkinson at corner. Was question, bunk. question from Griswold 06. Glad to see that Sean Crawford is ahead of schedule in the healing process. Does this mean, he will be 100% by the start of fall practice. If so, as of today, who would you put at the starting uh, four DB positions? You know, I, don't, I, I wrote about this last week. I talked to his dad and the trainer as well that uh, Crawford's working with. Um, you know, sort of ra- basically said he's ahead of schedule, uh, which backed up what Todd Light said on National Signing Day. And the dad mentioned um, nickel as a, as a real good possibility so maybe he won't be field boundary and he'll just be the nickel this year as he sort of gets back up to speed but They're certainly I, in a more of a position to do that as opposed to last year yeah so it's I, there's the expectation he'll be good to go when training camp starts in august and he'll be running around um at least in a limited capacity during spring ball, but they're not gonna they're not gonna push that they said all. they'd be more careful this year right with what he does in the spring he was, yeah and, I mean, they, they were fairly careful yeah. last year. I mean, he was a green jersey, but he was on the field in the spring game, whereas, like, Dalen Hayes had a shoulder last year, was a green jersey, and was not on the field. So I I would expect that uh, training camp rolls around. Sean Crawford will be out there taking full reps, and I think it's going to be probably a, a bit of a rebuilding first half of the year for yeah. him. But maybe he can be a, a good nickel back for you over the last six games my god you i mean now every step he takes you you've got a you've got right you've got I felt the way last year like, actually. i know no <laughs> so. you really do yeah that's um uh, he's key I, you know that was remember we made a list of guys that you cannot lose and sean crawford was real high up there last year uh, he probably i think retroactively he was two years running high on that yeah. list because you look at where their secondary was right. two years ago all right cpu 15. I know numbers are tight, but does the staff truly believe that we are in a position to pass on a defensive end the quality of Malik Van? Is this a sign that Mike Elko feels good about some of the young defensive ends already on the roster or that we feel good about other recruiting targets? Uh, I, Pete, I'm going to want you to answer that or give us a little bit more depth to that. I, I, my only comment is what I saw of him on film, and my reaction was, well, first of all, when I saw the first rep, you say strong side defensive end. But then, as you watch him more, it's like, okay, well, this is a this is a little bit different strong side defensive end than, um, you know, like an Ethan Johnson or a, a, a Isaac Rochelle or Jonathan McAllister. This is a guy that's got a little bit more pass rush to him, a little bit more suddenness, good size. You'd like him to be a little bit taller, but I thought he's a pretty good player. Uh, the fact that Nordy made this decision, Pete. I mean, can you can you add some depth as to why um, they can move forward with, with the process of recruiting defensive ends, which they need, and do it without pursuing Malik Van any further? Yeah, well, I mean, I think first you look at, let's look at the scholarship chart on Irish Illustrated for 2018 because they're already at 86 scholarship players. Um, so numbers are going to be tight. I think... You know, you, you look at sort of the narrative that comes out about Notre Dame saying, you know, well, we decided we're not going to take any more guys at that position. Well, they haven't gotten a defensive end or a defensive tackle since the summer when the Adam Alola twins committed, and one's a DN, one's a D tackle. So that seems a little bit weird. But I think when you look at it sort of on the whole, how could they pass on this guy? Maybe Myron Tagovailoa Omosa is the guy that actually took up Malik Van's spot. Because if, if they look at Malik Van and say, 
you're already 250. You're probably going to be 280. That means you're going to be a defensive tackle. Well, we just got this guy out of Hawaii. He has a lot of similar skill set with, with more power, less pass rush, but has some real good suddenness in his game too. So I think if Notre Dame's looking at Malik Vannon, maybe they don't see a strong side defensive end. Maybe they see somebody who's right. going to be 275. Well, and Kurt Hinnish as well, right? Now, Hinnish may ultimately... He could grow into a nose. He could grow into a nose, but I think right now they're looking at him as a, a three technique. I think that's a great point. So, yeah. It's, I mean, you look at the 2018 roster. you got both Adamalolas, Wardlow, McAllister, Heinish, Tagovailoa, Ewell, Ogundeje, Hayes, Kareem, Okwara, Dutredway, Taylor, Tiasam, Tillery, Hayes, and Bonner. Um, you know, I think Malik Van could help you, but I think they also, you also look at that roster at the corner position and you have, uh, six guys. So you probably need more than six corners. Um, and you probably don't need a 21st defensive lineman. If you, I wouldn't have turned down that talent. Yeah, I, well, I mean, if you the, can cut players, you don't need you a twenty first defensive lineman. I can tell you that maybe you should have got a little more selective back in two thousand fifteen when you're taking everybody with a rolling pulse on your defensive yeah. line. But that's the, I, uh, you know what? You, if I think Pete made a good point last night though, and I said I would, I just would, as a rule, I would not turn down defensive line talent. Um, however, you made a good point that, look, it's it's not that you're turning down talent. It's just not the room might not be there. Um, mm-hmm. Look, we didn't bring up the um, the right fit in terms of Greg Gabriel put it on our board um, profile. The word is escaping me. That it's a new defensive coordinator. He has a profile for players, and it might not match exactly what right. he wants. It, it, you know, it seems like they switched gears recently yeah, on I, that one. But I don't know. There, there's a lot of numbers on the defensive line. I would bring in the talent we talked about. You know, you turn down talent, it comes back to bite you at this position. But if you are going to say everything they've done since mid-January, which we're saying, has been good, you kind of have to trust things even though you don't agree with them. Yeah, the, I think the, you got to roll with The that. last thing I'm going to say here is, oh, well, they, they made a mistake. Hell, no, I don't, don't know. I, mean, I, no, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I uh, would say they made ex- a mistake if you're saying, hey, we have all these guys that are going to be good because you don't know that. That's yeah. not, you don't right. know that at all. Now, or yeah. it could be saying we've got these other guys that we can get in recruiting. We we don't know that exactly uh, either. I but. mean, the, you look at the offers that are going out of the position, it's a lot more... 65225 okay. and a lot less 62250. Yeah. It's hard though because just 2 years ago Brian Kelly said we have to be less profile fit and cast a wider net. And it's a different regime, it's a different It is. It is, but like they were just getting away from Bob Diaco doesn't want short guys to now it's so it doesn't there's, matter if he can play with two now we there's don't want a him. There's a scale there, right? Yeah, there's there a is. scale that that you try to balance out. Yeah, so it's look, I I would understand anyone's concern about passing on a pass rusher. They don't beat Temple. This is a terrible decision. (laughs) (laughs) It's also also something that has absolutely nothing to do with next season. Exactly. But it's an interesting discussion to have. But I I think if you look at it holistically, they got a lot of numbers. And I think Tagovailoa maybe is the guy that is like, well, since we got him, we're really expecting that. We're gonna we're gonna focus more on someone like Joseph Asai, a kid out of Texas, who's listed at six four two seventeen. I think that's sort of more the defensive end they're looking for right now. All right, well, that's it for segment two. We're going to talk more recruiting. I think there's been a couple commits since our last podcast. We'll get into all that. We've covered Malik Van, also some new offers out, and sort of looking ahead to spring practice and some visitors coming through there. So all that, segment three, Irish Illustrated Insider. Segment three of Irish Illustrated Insider is our recruiting roundup. And since our last podcast, Nordheim has received verbal commitments from wide receiver Micah Jones and wide receiver Braden Lindsay, two very different type of athletes. I really think that Micah Jones looks like a tight end to me, a guy that's accustomed to playing in the slot in high school, as he, he likely will in the Brian Kelly chip long offense. But nice additions. I love Lindsay. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, Micah Jones to me is he's a long athlete. I don't know how smooth he is changing directions, but they don't have that body type. They didn't sign it last year. Um, 6'5 is 6'5. He's got decent speed. Um, he's a three star on scout. I think he's a low four elsewhere. I think that's a fine, appropriate rating for the guy. Um, I wouldn't go much higher than that. He was a regional recruit, too. So it's not like somebody that 
schools from the SEC or Pac-12 were coming into Chicago to try to get. Um, you know, he wanted to stay closer to home anyway, so that probably played a part in it. But fine player. Um, somebody like he's a player Notre Dame signs almost every year. Um, sometimes he's named Miles Boykin. Um, you know, this year he's Micah Jones. So I would say Braden Lindsay is somebody Notre Dame doesn't sign every year. Uh, and he's got great speed, great, great speed to go with. Surprising amount of physicality in his game, and um, you know, as much as comparing anyone to Will Fuller is a bit crazy, there's some stuff on his film where you're like, I remember seeing that on Will Fuller's high school film too. Um, so I, that's as far as I'll go with it. But that's that's still going pretty far. And really, he's he at this stage in his career, he's faster than Will Fuller was. Fuller even talked about how his speed came right before and into college. I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't quite as fast at that stage. It's it's weird to me to think of that a kid gets that fast between 16 and 18, but it, it happened for Will Fuller. I mean, and Will Fuller's a different cat running down the field under the ball, as Deshaun Kaiser found out. But, boy, I mean, Lindsey can... <laughs> You're right. This isn't a guy they get all the time. Will Fuller wasn't a guy that you thought was going to be Will Fuller. He was just a no. really good prospect at wide receiver, and that's... this. And when's, when was the last time you were more intrigued by a wide receiver prospect at the time? I know it's hard to remove yourself because Will Fuller is clearly the best one. But, I mean, you're going Elvin back to... Elvin Miller. <laughs> you saw AstroTurf, his deep blue eye. I don't think Pete even knows that know, name. He might know that name. I know, it's the famous line. It's a long line. If he saw AstroTurf, he blew out his knee. Right, he right. looked but, at it. But he was, but he was he a blazer. Was he had, All-American, he had, but yeah. He had size, too. I, I don't know how you can't see the similarity to Will Fuller with Braden. Lindsay. Um, and I look at speed. I, you're right about Will Fuller's speed. He didn't really attain that level of speed until he got to Notre Dame. Everyone I think, should get that type of speed. On yeah, no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. See, that's a strength and conditioning program. Yeah. What are you guys talking yeah. about? Um, I I love Lindsay. I mean, I think that he's got a lot, I think he's got a lot of five-star, as I like to say in my reviews, he's a, he's a four-star player with five-star qualities. His his ability to adjust the, to the football in the air, to twist and turn. We I use the Everybody uses the term agility a lot. I don't know. There's got there's got to be a better word than agility because this guy's agility is just the ability to turn and twist and make plays and stay on his feet and then get right back in spry in in stride is is really impressive. I love him. Uh, hope they can hold on to him. It sounds like he's a kid that knew he wanted Notre Dame, so they you know shouldn't lose him over the long haul. But um, I think he's the best offensive player in the class, and Derek Ellen's the, the best defensive player in the class. Yeah, That's I mean, pretty obvious. Phil Jerkovic is, is pretty good, but yeah. you know, in I, terms I, of like a good combo, who would be most prepared nice. to play right now? I think Jerkovic certainly a needs more time. Yeah, yeah, certainly a receiver over a quarterback there. But uh, I mean, Notre Dame's sitting there at eleven commitments. They're number two on scout.com in the team rankings. It's yeah, you know, like it's an incredible start. You don't need to qualify that any more than that. And, you know, spring practice is coming through. I wouldn't be surprised if they picked up one or two offensive linemen next. A guy that I really like is uh, Hayes out of Traverse City, Michigan. It's um, offensive tackle who's sort of a high school tight end. Um, and they, they need more guys like that because uh, that's this is the focus of this class is going to be guys more like Cole Mabry, who was, um, he started, I think, his. I think I mentioned this on this podcast, but his sophomore year or his junior year started at 6'4", 197 on the offensive line. Uh, sophomore year. And then, you know, somebody like Hayes, who Ryan Hayes out of Traverse City, who's listed at 6'7", 250 right now. Those are the kind of athletes that are looking at. And then uh, another guy to keep an eye on, Jeremy Rucker, a tight end from Long Island, is coming out for a visit the second week in March, um, just after spring practice starts. Four-star prospect, Alabama, Florida State, Michigan, Ohio State offers. So, um, if they can get like if they can get a tight end to go in this class after last year's group, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, but I think the energy of Chip Long at that position and what he wants to do with it, if he comes out and watches spring ball, and it's like, wow, you're running eight tight end sets, then <laughs> there's a lot to like. So, Little I mean, two is always open. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> overall, like- Notre Dame recruiting, it's it's in good shape, and I expect them to get two, three more commitments during spring ball. I like, I really like Dirksen. Now, I know he's not yeah. a pure tackle. He's he's a guy that could be a guard or a tackle. Um, man, I, I mean, I really think that he's a very proactive offensive line, lineman. Remember in the last podcast when I was talking about Mabry and the blindside reference? There is a, there's a clip of Dirksen out there where he literally makes three blocks on one play, and that's what I'm talking about. Block, 
going to the yeah. next guy block, and he literally went downfield and put a body on on a third guy. Uh, really like him, but he's a he's a little bit of a different player than Hayes. Hayes is a well, Hayes is a tight end in in high school, and so you have to project a little bit as to how he um, you know handles the move to the offensive line, but. You know, more they're recruiting good players, man. They're recruiting good players. They put themselves in a good position. Yeah, I mean, goals for those positions, offensive line, they want to take at least three, two pure tackles, one swing guy. That's sort of a minimum. And then at wide receiver, uh, because they have a million offers out, uh, I sort of pings some people around the Google. I mean, they, they're they open to taking four receivers in this class. Um, num- a... Numbers will be tight to yeah. do it, um, especially if they can get a – I think if they – they found a tight end to come aboard. They would only be able to take three receivers, but um, the receivers that they're going after are like the Will Fuller, like they would like a, another Braden Lindsay in this class. So if they can get two speed guys to go with Micah Jones, I think they would be happy to call that uh, call that a haul and, and you know maybe get a, a tight end on top of it. So overall, Notre Dame recruiting, as we talked about, this podcast, previous podcast, podcast before that, space is going to be really tight. Um, you know, they're they're going to have to be very judicious about how they hand out scholarships, or at least how they accept commitments uh, this cycle, because they don't have a lot of space. This might be the one time where space is actually tight. Yeah. No, really, it's, it's usually set, tight. Said it's it before, not. and it never works out <laughs> yeah. that way. It looks like this it might be tight. Yeah, this might be one where it works out. Um, so we'll see how spring practice develops. If it can. Finish up with the offensive line, maybe pick up a tight end, maybe there's another receiver out there. I mean, they easily could be at 80% full by the time fall camp kicks off, maybe beyond that. So it would be uh, that would be a really impressive place for Notre Dame to be. As far as spring practice, next week we'll be back on Monday, March 6th. Spring practice starts a couple days after that. Uh, we'll have a Brian Kelly presser, I believe, on March 7th. Uh, so I think we'll probably do a couple podcasts next week. Uh, Tim Priester will be in Brooklyn. I'll be here on Monday, but not later yeah. in the week. So we'll talk a little ACC tournament as well. So until our return on March 6th to really dive deep into our spring practice preview, you've listened to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. I'm Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley. Thanks for listening.